1 Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. Three verses for the remainder of our time together this morning. There's, there is a lot of mouthfuls in here, um, but more importantly than that, man, this is hard to live. This is hard to live. It's hard to live in tough times. It's, it's hard to live when you don't have all the answers. It's, it's hard to live when, when up is down and down is up and left is right and right is left and things are going backwards and real life's happening. It says, always be joyful. <laughs> always be joyful. I'm going to stick a pin in that in a minute. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. That one's, that one's kind of coming easy to me right now. I think just about every breath I make, it's talking to the Lord. Uh, never stop praying. So, okay, if we're checking them off, all right, I'm checking. I don't know about the first one. Number two, I'm checking. Woo, number three, I'm failing. Be thankful in all circumstances. How about you today? Be honest. I'm being honest. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And I got, I got to read that a few more times over. You know, it's dangerous. I actually point this out the most. I, I, I don't hear a lot of other preachers point this out, not comparing myself against other preachers. I just have never really heard other preachers make a great point of emphasis about building doctrine off of obscure passages and what I mean by that is you just find one verse that says what you think it needs to say or you want it to say and then you just build your whole life around it's not a good way to develop sound Bible doctrine you want to take in account the whole Bible this is not an obscure passage this isn't just one passage taken out of context that I think sounds good for the moment for you today post Thanksgiving for me my circumstances in life and then I'm gonna to try to build a message out of it no this is this is a standalone statement, small paragraph that can be taken in context because it's throughout the whole entirety of the Bible. Always be joyful. Did you notice it didn't say always be happy? You, you do know there's a difference between happiness and joy. Okay, we're going to talk about that in a minute, but just in case you didn't make a little note, in your notepads there I'm gonna learn the difference in happiness and joy today because they are different never stop praying praying doesn't have to be as pastor Chad said just a moment ago anything other than Jesus it, it, it is a doesn't have to be anything than oh God or help me today or I love you Lord or bless you today or man thank you for that good break or thank you for that parking spot or thank you for the sun how many of you are grateful when the sun showed back up a couple of days ago lord i felt like we were in ireland <laughs> man we were living under that rain and that gray cloud for thought we were in europe always be joyful never stop praying talk to the lord about anything and everything let him become your best friend it's not a religion it's a relationship he cares even about the smallest things. Be thankful. Woo. Be thankful in all circumstances. Listen to this last statement. For this is God's will for those of you that belong to Christ Jesus. You know it didn't matter that it was Thanksgiving Day. That what, what that scripture is saying is this is God's will for every one of us every day if we belong to Christ Jesus. Let, let me share a couple of interesting nuggets here to get us going. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you for Oaks Church and for the amazing and wonderful and faithful people that continue to do life with us, continue to call Oaks Church home, continue to come here to worship and to give and to serve and to believe in this vision to reach this city to move to this frontage road. God, thank you today for these incredible people that are here to hear the word, to be moved by your spirit. God, I'm also, even though delivering it here, to hear it and to be moved by it, convicted and challenged, encouraged and strengthened. God, that's what we all want today in this teaching. 
is for our faith to be edified, our lives to be strengthened, our faith to be strengthened, and for all of us to be made more like you. I pray it today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Listen to these couple of statements to get us going today. The Bible teaches us that true thanksgiving can be identified or verified by a lifestyle of thanks living. Thanks living. I think if I was going to put a little small title, I may have even done this for the media booth um, on this message or on this talk. Maybe just write this in your notes. Just write thanks living. Thanks living. That's what we're going to talk about today. Even though another Thanksgiving has come and gone, I hope and pray every one of you had an incredible Thanksgiving. I think what I sat around this week thinking about as I was preparing this message is how can my life right now in this present situation, these current circumstances, how can my life still look like a life of thanksgiving? You know, when I see people or when I talk to people or interact with people, people always say to me, just be you, just be joyful, just be happy, just be humble, just be loving to people. That's your gift. That's who you are. And the truth of the matter is that comes from the Lord, just to be honest. And and when that thing from the Lord dries up or is taken away in any one of our lives, then all of a sudden those attributes are no longer seen in our lives. I think it was my good friend Doug Pollack that was telling me that. And what he was saying is what most of our good friends and brothers and sisters in Christ would say to us during tough times, in tough times in our journey, in our walk and in our faith, we've got to dig in. We've got to press into God. And then when we press into God, as I said last week, we're intimate with him. It causes us to be pregnant. It causes us to swell with him in our lives, with his goodness, with his mercy, with his attributes, with his grace, with his joy, with his love, with his kindness. It oozes out of us for the world to see. Don't get lost on me now. What I'm talking about today is this week spending time with God and feeling impressed from the Lord that my life, even in this season, your life, even in this season, even though we're in relation to the Thanksgiving holiday that's come and gone, we should really have lives that give off the aroma of thanks living goodness and the grace of God. The Bible mentions three ingredients, just three simple talking points today that I want to talk about that are needed if any one of us is going to live this life of thanksgiving to the Lord. Number one, and I'm moving quickly into these points because each one of them is, is going to take a little time to develop and explain. A life of thanksgiving is marked by a life of rejoicing. Rejoicing. Now, leave that up there on the screen, media booth, for just a moment, please. Media booth, leave that up there. The last word on that screen is rejoicing. There's a prefix, there's a root word, and then there's a suffix. The prefix on that word of that root word is re. Danny, re means to repeat, to to do again. You know there's no word called re-happiness? It's hard to get re-happy about things that made you happy once in life. Happiness is fleeting. Happiness is a moment. Joy is eternal. Joy is from God. Joy is something that the Lord did in you, did for you, did through you, did around you, saw the, and you can go back to it. And every time you take the lid off of it, it smells just like a brand new fresh can of Folgers. It just is as strong and as powerful as it was the very first time. And it fills you again with that joy of the Lord. What the Bible's talking about is living a life that displays God's goodness and thanks by being a loving, giving, kind, merciful person. People see it, and you can do this if you keep the secret sauce in your cupboard of always going back to your joy from the Lord. Always knowing where to go back to to get your strength. How many of you love Pastor Chad and think he does an amazing job? Love Pastor Chad. Thinks he does an amazing job. Been my friend, thick and thin, for decades. But the truth of the matter is, it's not Pastor Chad. He's a tool, an instrument that's helping you connect this morning in the heavens, in the courts of heaven with the Lord. 
so that you can feel and experience these wonderful blessings the Lord wants to give humanity as we worship him together in church. But at the exact same time, it's not Pastor Chad doing that for you. It's your connecting to the Lord that starts breaking the yokes, that starts pushing the enemy back, that starts bringing his anointing, that starts bringing his hope into your life. Living a life of thanksgiving is marked by learning to go back to the place, the strength of your joy. Listen to this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, first verse. Always be joyful. Always be joyful. Now, I want to tell you this. Rejoicing is hard. Rejoicing is hard. And it's even harder to rejoice when somebody tells you to rejoice. It's kind of like being rebuked on the cool. It's kind of like being corrected on the slick. It's somebody telling you, hey, you need to fix your mouth. Can you fix your face right now? Because it's not very kind at the moment. I need you to rejoice, right? I need you to find some joy. I need you to act straight. I need you to act right. I need you to get yourself together. And, and how does that make you feel when somebody tells you that? I'm happy. Don't be telling me about my face, right? The Apostle Paul tells the church of Thessalonica, listen to me. To rejoice in the harshest wave of Christian persecution that happened in the first century church AD. The church of Thessalonica, when Paul, their apostle, who founded this church, writes them this letter, is experiencing persecution that is biblical in proportion, even recorded in the book of Revelation, the persecuted church, the church of Thessalonica, one of the seven churches of Asia. And Paul writes them in the midst of their persecution. So it's like your lights are off and you don't have the money to pay the bill. And Paul shows up and you don't have a job. You don't even have an application. You don't even have a cell phone to fill out an application online. Don't have a car to get there. And Paul says, I'm going to need you to be happy about it. I'm going to need you to rejoice, Taylor. I'm going to need you to fix your face. Find yourself. Get some goodness about you rejoice and don't you know the christians of thessalonica wanted to say paul do you know what's going on the leaders those people in power people in 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 positions they're in opposition to us they're against us they're working against us they're stifling us they're stopping us they're killing us and paul says so find your joy (laughs) well i don't know about you paul but it ain't much to be happy about right now i didn't say find your happiness Paul is saying happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is I have the light bill money. Happiness is I have a car. Happiness is everything is going my way. Happiness is somebody gave me a compliment that made me feel good today. But you cannot go back to that compliment tomorrow. You cannot go back to that on Wednesday. You cannot go back to it a decade from now and draw out of that man-made compliment the joy you need to face the harshness of life. It made you feel good for the moment. The money made you feel good for a moment. The car made you feel good for a moment. And it brought you happiness in that moment. But it's not joy that is lasting. That joy only comes from the Lord. That's why the Bible is full of this statement. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Go back. Redo it. Rediscover your joy that is simply in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord. So Paul shows up. Everything's going wrong. Do I got the picture painted? And Paul shows up and says, always be joyful. Now, obviously, I believe there is spiritual application. I believe there's spiritual depth and insight into this statement that Paul is making. And I've just shared that with you on the spiritual side. But at the exact same time, I think there's also some physical. I think there's also some natural good advice in this. It's hard to go to lunch with somebody when you look like this. It's hard to have a conversation with somebody when you look like you got a red wing boot in your mouth. It's, 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 it's hard. 
to get along with your kids. It's hard to go forward with people in relationships when you're not joyful, when you're bitter, or when you're angry, or when you're volatile. Paul says, find your joy, John. Your joy is in Jesus. The Bible's full of this teaching. Rejoice in the Lord always. He is eternal. He is constant. He is stable. And every time you go dig in that water well, there'll be fresh living water for you that'll bring you joy. You just got to dig the well. Paul isn't speaking about happiness. He's speaking about joy. Happiness is circumstantial. It is an emotion that you can't control. It's fleeting. We're spontaneously happy and we're filled with goosebumps and giggles when everything seems to go right or situations or circumstances fall into place. But when they start falling out of place is when you find the true test of the level of your joy. Amen. I I told you this was going to be a difficult teaching, but it's difficult for me first. In the Bible, the word rejoice appears about 14 times in the New Testament alone. But here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, for a reason, Paul selected this verse. Paul commands the church of Thessalonica to find the source of their joy during their toughest attack of persecution because the apostle Paul knows something that they don't know. Your victory, your perseverance, your guarantee that you're going through this and to the other side is connected to you being connected to the Lord. If you are not connected to the Lord, you're going under, not over. You're not going through the valley. You're going to die in the valley. Paul said, I want you to go back and find your place of joy so that it fixes your frown and it puts a smile on your face. It reminds you of all the wonderful things that God's done for you, how beautiful he is, how faithful he is, how strong he is, how mighty he is, how consistent he is. And when you find that, I want you then to know that now you are connected to the source of all life and hope and strength that will take you, the church of Thessalonica, through this wave of persecution. Through this wave of persecution. Through this wave. But you got to stay connected to the Lord. Rejoicing, on the other hand, let me tell you this, is not a spontaneous emotion. Do you know why none of you, none of you, this morning, and it's not just because the lights are over at the new building, or some of your friends aren't here, or, or you know why nobody's just jumped up and took off with a Jericho March number one, you'd probably be embarrassed. Everybody look at you like you was crazy. But most people have not jumped up and began clapping or praising or rejoicing because it's not spontaneous. See, I can preach under the anointing. Chad can worship under the anointing. Some of you can preach or worship under the anointing. And you can get us to say... Come on, amen, praise God. That's spontaneous. It's a moment, and then it's over. How many of those do we have to have one sermon? Oh, it's got to at least be four or five good amens to be a good sermon, right? If you don't get four or five, it's like, ah, oh, church was dead today, right? Those, those are kind of spontaneous. Those are kind of feel goods. Listen to this verse. I'm going somewhere. I'm giving you some meat on this turkey leg today. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says that rejoicing, on the other hand, is not a spontaneous emotion, but it is an intentional act of faith. There were men and women that intentionally got up this morning, came to Bayou Point, and put this place together. Chairs, platforms, lobbies, golf carts, coffee, kids, littles, check-ins, media, cameras, worship, and they don't begrudge that. They did it intentionally. They had to set alarms, holiday week, get up out of their warm bed, come here, get dressed, take a shower, begin working, be here. Intentionally, they did this. Listen to me. Amen. That's spontaneous. Intentional is it hurts. I don't feel good. 
It doesn't feel good. It's an adverse time. It's, it's not the right time. Nobody's going to understand. But intentionally, even though the fig trees have no blossoms, Habakkuk said, and even though there are no grapes on the vine, and even though the olive crops have failed, and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks lie dead out there in the field, and the cattle barns are empty and barren, Habakkuk said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord always. I will be joyful in my God alone in this situation. Now, if you want a great Bible study this week, now you're keeping, keeping track, right? That's my second clap today, all right? So right now, it's still dead church. If I can get two or three more, you can leave and say, church was good today. But that's not what I'm telling you to do this week about your joy. I'm, I'm not telling you to wait till the right song comes on the music, comes on the radio. I'm not, I'm not telling you to wait till the right person gives you the right con- I'm saying, man, there are days, I'm just telling you, that when I go to the gym, I swear to you, I can do 100 pull-ups like ain't nobody's business. 300 push-ups, nobody business. 50-pound weight around my There are other days, I can't carry my gym bag in the door, and I don't want to go. I do not want to go. And I'm like, Lord, why did I feel so good yesterday? Why did I feel so terrible today? What I'm talking to you about today, that was just, that was just a reference, is when you wake up and the door to the road of your faith is hard. And it's not spontaneous. It's not, hey, amen. And it's, oh, Lord, the fig trees are barren. The barns are empty. Lord, there ain't no crops in the field, and the cattle has all died. But yet, I'm going to God. I know he's got some joy for me in there somewhere. I'm going to him to find my hope, to find my strength, to find myself. I don't want to put these clothes on. I don't want to open this door. I don't want to walk in here. I don't want to do the first pull-up today or the first push-up today. But once I start intentionally moving towards him, I don't know how he does it, but he starts intentionally moving towards you. And he moves towards you, and heaven's resources come, and everything changes in your heart, in your mind, in your perspective, in your faith. I'm telling you what I know. Always be joyful. Forgive me, I had a cold this week. Oh. What am I saying, Miss Carrie? What, what am I saying? Give me the, give me the, the condensed recap. I'm, I'm saying If you want the secret sauce to victory, Paul says you can find your joy and your victory by staying connected to the Lord. Number three, number three, number two, put this on the screen. Woo, this one's about to get tight and right right here. Somebody said, okay, I thought you said abbreviated. That's 11, we done. Oh, that's all I can handle, Pastor John, was one today. A life of thanksgiving is marked by a life of nonstop prayer. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Now listen, when somebody tells me never stop praying, man, that feels heavy. Because my personality, Brother Danny, is like, okay, I didn't pray for like a certain three minutes and now I feel like a failure. That, that's just me. Like I could have prayed all the minutes of the day except three but then i feel like a failure for not praying the three right i've I've had to biblically indoctrinate myself to the concept of new testament maturity not western perfection to understand god's heart on that i look at that through western perfection that i missed three minutes so i'm a failure i must have a b or a c now instead of an a god looks at it through maturity It wasn't about how many minutes you prayed. It's about the consistency in which you continually went back to God over the time and the duration of your life. You were continually growing in godliness. God sees that overall journey where you see the momentary failure. They will change the way you think about how you serve God. But I still battle that Western perfectionism. 
I just battle it now with doctrine from New Testament theology. But nonetheless, when somebody tells me to never stop praying, that feels heavy. Man, that feels like a setup for something that I'm going to fail at. And that is not what I'm saying to any of you today. What I'm saying to you today is develop a relationship with God where you feel comfortable with him enough to talk to him all day long about everything. He knows it anyways. He loves you anyways. You're not hiding anything from him anyways. Paul then advises, listen to this, the Christians in the church of Thessalonica to pray always, pray without ceasing. Paul stresses it so much because prayer is the heavenly fuel, listen to me, that keeps the aforesaid joy, flame, burning in our heart even in times of trouble. Woo! So now he adds another nugget. It isn't just I went back to something the Lord did, opened that fresh can of coffee and smelled the aroma all the morning. Goodness, wow, that was amazing when God set me free. Man, that was amazing when God came through. Man, that was amazing when God answered that prayer. But what he says is don't just smell it, get a snort of it, try to take it with you. He says, as you go, keep talking to him about what he did. God, I can't believe you did that. God, I can't believe you said, man, that was a great thing that you did in my family's life. That was a great thing you did for my sister, for my brother. That was a great thing you did in our community. Wow, God, what a cool, you just keep talking to God about that thing and it protects you and keeps the joy in your heart that you're going to need to ensure the victory to go to the other side. The dictionary defines perseverance as this. Persistence in doing something despite it being difficult and experiencing a delay in achieving success. I think I was kind of hitting on that a moment ago. A direct reference to this concept of persistent prayer. It's one of my favorite examples in all of the New Testament about prayer. It's Luke 18 one through eight. They're, they're going to put this up on the screens for me today. And you probably know this as the teaching or the parable of the persistent widow. Now, the conversation that we're having, the topic is about prayer, how to consistently pray. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should always pray and never give up. Now, I really like the way it makes that statement, never give up because it puts it more in the perspective of a lifetime of prayer versus I was checking boxes and trying to pray every minute of the day. It's not talking about, did I pray every minute of every day? It's talking about never quitting on your faith. It's talking about never giving up. Jesus said, you should always pray, guys. And I think what he's saying, Danny, is even in good times, yes, of course, it's easy to say. Those are prayers of thanksgiving. Thank you, God. I love you. God bless you. Oh, you're so good, God. But he's saying, pray always, even in difficult times. And he said, I'm going to show you something about God where it's different than man. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. This man's got a black heart. Flip the script there, media booth. I'll read it from here. You read it up there. I don't mean that bad. I'm saying you follow along. Be better if I come from here. And there was a widow in that city that came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. And this judge continually ignored her for a while. But finally, he said to himself, listen, I don't fear God and I don't even care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to get up and go out and see that she gets justice simply because she's wearing me out, constantly coming to me. It's like a nagging wife. It's like a dripping faucet. It's like a leaking roof. Hello. All right. Sorry. That's Bible too. Don't build doctrine on that. That's an obscure text. You got to have the. He said, she is wearing me out. Does everybody understand? This man, he don't care about God. He don't care about people. He don't care about getting reelected. He don't care about paying his tithe. He's, he's just lazy. 
And he said, because this woman will not quit just pestering me, I'm going to go out and give her what she wants so she'll leave me alone. That's not what he's saying how God is. That, that's, Jesus isn't telling this story to say, you got to wear God out. I think so many of us, stand up, Brother Danny, I've been picking on you all morning. I think so many of us, jump up here for me. Come right around here if you don't mind. I think so many of us think this is what we do to God in prayer. And this is why it's so challenging to pray. I think we think we have to start off with God like, um, and then somehow in the journey, we think we get God. We sneak attack God and we get his arm up behind his back and we start twisting. Okay, now you're going to do what I want you to do for me now, God. You're going to give me my way, God. You're going, okay, I'm using scripture, God. I'm praying every day, every, and I think we're trying to twist God's arm into making God do what we want to do. Can I show you what prayer is? Oh, God. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. I got it now, God. Okay. I see that was my way, but this is your way here. Okay. Thank you for leading me over here, God. Prayer isn't you twisting God's arm. Prayer is God preparing you (laughs) for where he wants you to be, where he wants you. It's getting you ready for the answer he's already given from heaven that you ain't ready for it to land yet. He's getting you into birthing position. So he's saying, listen, pray. Pray, talk to the Lord. Thank you so much, Brother Danny. Come on, give him a hand. He's saying, pray, but don't go to God thinking you're going to wear him out or twist his arm. That's not how God is. God's not trying to get you to spend time with him so then he can say, oh, okay, well, you'd spent this time with me. I'll give this to you. No. Spend time with him so that you know him, and more importantly, that you don't know him, you know his ways. Does everybody understand that is the end goal of getting to know the Lord? You you don't get to know the Lord so you can just quote scripture and tell people about God. You get to know God so you can be like Moses, and it says, the people knew God, but Moses knew the ways of God. When you see a scenario, you say, okay, I see what's happening, but I know what God is about to do because I know God through intimacy well enough to know these are his ways. Watch what's going to happen. He's going to get that man, get that woman, get that in a birthing position for his answer to land from heaven. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God, who is great and pure and awesome, will surely give justice to those who cry out to him day and night? Will God keep putting them off? Is that his nature? Is he like that judge? This parable isn't saying God is like this judge. This parable is showing you that God is the absolute opposite of this judge. That where this judge would only do it because he's lazy and doesn't want to be bothered, God would do it because he's loving and wants you to have his best. He will grant them justice quickly. But watch this. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth that have faith like this? Faith that knew how to pray to God, to talk to God, to be intimate with God, to know the ways of God. That openly talked to him, that fostered that relationship with him, kept those fires of intimacy, of joy, of gratitude flowing over in your heart. Jesus, how many people will I find like that still have faith like this in the earth? That'll pray during the good times and the bad times? Mm, I'm, I'm just gonna help you, I promise. I promise. Humans, I looked this up, humans are result-oriented, and praying can be difficult when results are delayed. Can anybody be honest and say that? Like, like praying's easy. If you've got like a set prayer list that you pray every day, praying can be easy, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, if you just pray this prayer list, and you pray through it, praying can be easy. But if you're a results-oriented prayer, like you're praying for this specifically, and you don't see it happening as quickly as you think, and you're looking for results, and they seem to be delayed, prayer can be difficult. Situate, I've just, I got to be honest with you, this past year, church was exploding, going crazy, and there were a lot of people here, 
with a lot of different issues. And I just kept saying to people, be patient. Be patient. Just love these people. Just be patient. Just be patient. Just let God have time, place, and a space. Be patient. God let you have all the time it took till you got it. Just let that. They don't have to dress like us in two weeks. They don't have to post on social media like us in two weeks. They don't have to talk like you in two weeks. They don't have to vote like you on a Just be patient with people. Listen to this. Humans are results-oriented. We want to see it today. We don't like it when things are delayed. We're all wired to look for substitutes. When things aren't going our way and things aren't happening as quickly as we would like them, we start looking for substitute avenues because it seems that things have failed or are failing. But unlike the world, we must pray persistently. Listen to this. This nugget blessed me when I studied it up. Daniel 10 and 12 says this. Then he said, Daniel, don't you be afraid. From the very first day that you begin to pray for understanding and you begin to humble yourself before God, God sent your answers from heaven. They're just being delayed. In the spirit realm, there's a spiritual battle going on in the spirit realm that is delaying your answer. Daniel, you don't understand that. You're going to start feeling like down there on the Chabar River that you're not good enough, that you're not hearing from God. You're not truly a prophet. You didn't truly see your vision. You don't truly have a word for the four kingdoms of this world. You don't have a word for Nebuchadnezzar. Can you imagine all of the doubt Daniel experienced? Can you imagine the monumental biblical book and chapters that Daniel wrote by the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine having to be him down there on that bank of the river praying and waiting on those answers from God it was a far greater challenge than anything I'm personally facing today far greater challenge than anything that you may be facing today but I'm telling you the Bible says that the very first day you begin to pray and humble yourself to God that your answers from God are on the way so don't be weary in the well-doing don't start looking for substitute avenues to get the end result that you're looking for or desire all you've got to do is keep talking to God. You got to keep talking to Him. You got to look to Him. You got to cry out to Him. He's unlike this unjust judge. He wants to give justice. He wants to heal. He wants to restore. He wants to set you free. He wants to change your heart. He wants to bless your family. He wants to renew your faith. He wants to restore your hope, restore your joy. I'm just telling you the truth today. I know it from the Word of God. He said, Daniel, your prayers were heard in heaven the very first day that you prayed them. So don't look around Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, who's here, who's not, who's coming, who's going, who's calling, who's blocking, and let it dictate the joy of your heart, the consistency of your prayers, because the joy in your heart should come from the Lord, and He's eternal, and He never changes yesterday, today, and forever. And the consistency of your prayers can be based off the guarantee that God hears and answers every one of them every time you call to Him. Number three, Pastor Chad, I'm going to get you to come this morning. Number three, a life of thanksgiving is marked by a life of giving thanks. There was one thing that I wanted to say earlier um, today that I, that I didn't say, and that is last week, how, how many of you, it may just be me, so let me just take a poll. How many of you feel like Thanksgiving just like really came up quick this year, like snuck up on you, right? Anybody feel that way? Okay. So if you would have walked in church last Sunday and I would have said, happy Thanksgiving, you'd have been like, oh God, even quicker, four days earlier, right? So it kind of, you know, it's always on a Thursday, but this year, not wanting to do it the Sunday before, wanting to come in the Sunday after, wanted to just take a reflection and look back at this very special holiday. Um, read some great literature this week about George Washington and why he instilled this day of Thanksgiving in our nation. Mm, rich writing there, all centered around God and faith all centered around God and faith, being grateful, taking this day out of our life and saying, God, I'm going to give you thanks. 
I'm going to give you thanks. Number three, a life of thanksgiving is marked by a life of giving this thanks. In the Bible, great men of influence were also men who were recorded to have thanked God verbally or literally. Who's the very first person that you think of in the Bible giving God thanks in a hard season? Job. Job. Man, there's a great teaching out there that highlights where all three of these major collisions in Job's life with the enemy, and then he stands up and says, Yet, though he slay me, I will praise him. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and I shall see him standing in the flesh, judging the earth. Every time hell would come, every time death would come, destruction would come, just curse God and die, Job. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of God. And then Paul turns around and says, what was happening is God knew Job's character. So God allowed Job to be tested so that the angelic world who didn't understand what praising is from voluntarily receiving salvation would see it and that Job would teach the angels how to praise. The fallen world that rebelled left heaven. Job was held up by God and said, here's a man with free will in a fallen world with a sin nature. And even though you destroyed him, he's praising me. And he lifted Job up and he said, you just go ahead and teach them fallen angels how they should have praised. You just teach them what they should have done. They were in heaven with no sin. Things were perfect and they couldn't do what you're doing now. Mm. Another great one. Jesus. <laughs> Woo! You want to talk about a ministry mess. <laughs> he got 5,000 people. Ain't got no money and no food. <laughs> Nowhere to buy food. <laughs> he said, what you got? what you got they said we got two loaves he said come on let's give him thanks and and somehow he blessed it and broke it right they might know when the miracle happened anybody know when the miracle happened? you think you think just five thousand loaves of bread appeared right there no or enough bread the miracle happened in the distribution he blessed the breaking. There's always a blessing in breaking. Always a blessing in breaking. When he breaks it, he just gives it. They just start giving. And as they're transporting, it just starts multiplying. It just keeps coming. They don't ask no question. They keep going. They look around. Everybody's got bread. 5,000 people fed. Catastrophe avoided. All due to Thanksgiving. Paul and Silas. Come on, Pastor Tyler, where you at? Where you at? Come on, he's on the camera. Huh? What's, it, what's his sermon? I better not quote it. You might preach it up. <laughs> better under pressure. If Pastor Tyler ever preaches, better under pressure. That's, that's Act 16. It's my 1159. It's his Act 16. Paul and Silas, feet fastened in the inner stocks in the midnight hour, singing, praising, worshiping God. All of a sudden, an earthquake. Shackles fall off. Tell you about some men in history I studied up this week. One man named John Huss, while he was being burned alive at the stake, prayed that God would have mercy on him. St. Ignitus of Loyola prayed that he would be agreeable bread to the Lord when he was being fed to hungry lions. These two men, recorded in history, went out giving praise, giving thanks to God, even in hard 
the hardest times of their lives. Finally, I want to conclude by telling you about this passage. Philippians 4 and 7. Thanksgiving immunes our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus against the circumstances that also nourish our faith. That's heavy. It takes a minute to set in. I'm going to say that again. Thanksgiving immunes our hearts and our minds against the circumstances that nourish our faith. See, if life was easy, you would never grow. If you went to the gym and you always lifted 10 pounds, you'd never get stronger. If you always did 30 jumping jacks, you could never do 40. It takes time, tension, pressure, strain for growth, strength, endurance to develop. But the problem with being human is when we go through that stuff, anybody ever been through anything? 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 Does it affect this? Does it affect this? It does. And guess what Thanksgiving does? Nullifies it. Just makes you immune to it. If you can just keep an attitude of gratitude, it immunes this and it immunes this for the very circumstances in life that are building your faith, building your endurance, building your strength. You need one and can neutralize the other. Gratitude will do it for you. All right? Don't worry about anything, Philippians 4 and 7 says. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. I want to ask you just a couple of questions today. In light of Thanksgiving, if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment today. Where are you at in your joy? Where's your joy level? Not, Not so that you're nice to me. That's not what I'm asking. So that you'll have the victory. Where is your joy at right now? You know, if you put your joy on people, you'll be joyless. If you put your joy on people, you'll be joyless. But if your joy is in the Lord, you can rejoice always because the Lord never changes. Where are you at in your joy walk? Mm, I, I ne- I'm telling you, I run into them all the time. And I don't, I, like, I don't, I like to say names, but I don't like to say names. I love to say names because I love people. I don't like to say names because some people get mad that I say other people's names and not their names. It's so weird. I think about Sister Liz Parker. Think about Chad's aunt. I'm telling you, this is the happiest human being in the world. She can be upset. She can be upset about something. You parked in the handicapped parking spot and she's still smiling and got joy. She'll tell you, get out of my handicapped spot. And then she'll tell you about what the Lord did in 1943 down in Bastrop, Louisiana at a revival in the church and saved 9,000 people, you know, and God's going to do it again. I mean, it's just beautiful. She's always got this joy, always got joy, always got joy. I see my buddy Doug Pollock. He's always just smiling, always got joy. See Donnie Williams, always got joy. It's always got joy. What it tells me about people, no matter if you park in their parking spot or they get unhappy about certain things, what it tells me about people that always have joy is they're going to the water well. They're digging in the water well. When I see people like that, it it challenges me to dig in the water well to find my joy, right? Where is your joy? Can you rejoice today? Did you rejoice at Thanksgiving? Do you understand? Have I made one thing clear today? That joy has to come from God. Not from people, not from places, not from things, not from circumstances. 
Let's make that decision right now today. I'm going to place my joy and the certainty of my joy back on the Lord. And I'm going to make a decision to start digging in those wells, finding that living water that brings me great joy. I'm going to start praying like David did. Oh God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. David's saying, remind me of the grandeur of what it is to be redeemed out of all mankind to sing the song of heaven, to sing the new song that the angels can't sing, that I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. I once was naked and dirty and afraid, and now I'm clothed and found and freed. God, I can rejoice in that. I can give you thanks in that. I can talk to you about that. Mm. Do you live a life of prayer? Could your prayer life change? Could you be challenged today to treat it more like a relationship and less like a religion? Could you be challenged today just to start talking to God about the smallest things and then eventually you'll find yourself involving him in the biggest things? Mm. And are you thankful? Can you be counted like these men in the Bible? being fed to lions, saying, oh God, make me agreeable bread for you today as they eat my broken body here. I'm telling you, there is going to come a time and a day in the Christian faith where that type of faith will be needed. That type of persecution will one day be again in this earth against the Western or the Christian church. Maybe not in America. We're seeing it now in the Middle East, but there is coming a day where Christians will have to have a tenacious faith like that to stand against the hardships and the persecutions of life. Right now, I'm just talking about your family. I'm just talking about your marriage. I'm just talking about your children. I'm just talking about your life. I'm just talking about your job. I'm talking about your family, your relationships, things that are simple in comparison to situations like being eaten alive by lions. Mm. are you thankful can you say like the apostle Paul says in Philippians 4 and 7 I'm not going to worry about this I'm going to pray about this I'm going to tell God what I need I'm going to thank him for all he's done and I know God's going to send Jesus the umpire of peace into my heart and guard what I have entrusted to him are you thankful today are you thankful today for the Lord for all he's done for what you have, for your family, are you thankful?